Cool. Well, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for, for who you are, Lord. Thank you that we can um, get together as your church. Thank you that we can sing together um, of your glory. Thank you for everything that you've done. And thank you for bringing us together as a family. And Lord, I pray that we will um, seek you. I pray that we will have open hearts to, to, to see more of who you are, Lord. And I pray that you change us in the inside and, and help us to become more like you um, as we wait for your return. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is sweet. Sweet. So, Hebrews. Like Jack said, many of you guys know that we are, um, we, we're in a, a year series called The Story and Way of Jesus. And we've been going through Mark's gospel and dipping into Hebrews throughout the year. And we're in Hebrews 7, so we're more than halfway through. Woo! Um, I'll do it for you. If you. <laughs> um, and, and so far we've had, we've had it just shows how, how good Jesus is. And so far we've had Jesus is better than the angels. He's our brother, Captain King, our rest giver, our wonderful counsellor, the better hope, that was last time, and this time... Jesus, the better advocate. He's the better advocate because he, he's qualified and, and he has a case to advocate for us. Um, I'm sure you noticed from the reading, from Min's reading, um, there's a lot of talk about high priests today. And, and that doesn't really mean much to us, high priests. But it, it, it did to the Jewish Christian readers, the original readers. A high priest was someone who, who went to the temple, went into the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. Someone who actually got alongside the people of God. Someone who, someone who would go and make sacrifices for the people and, 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 and plead on their behalf to God. It was, the high priest was someone who advocates for the people of God. Now the, the Jewish people that this letter was written to, they, they converted to Christianity. They recognize that the temple isn't necessary anymore, the, the, the sacrifices aren't necessary anymore, because Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection has offered full salvation, and they've accepted that full salvation. And that's, that's, that's why most of us are here as well, because we've recognized that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has brought salvation, and we've accepted that salvation, and so we gather together. So that's awesome. So the, the Jewish people that this is written to, same thing, they've converted to Christianity, but... They're living before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. They're living before that. So in the corner of their eye is this temple that's still active. The priest is still going up there. The high priest is still making sacrifices on behalf of the people. And, and perhaps they would have had friends and, and family and community that was still going to the temple. People who hadn't yet converted, who were still going and going to their advocate, the high priest. And it seems from this letter that they were prone to slip back into this. They were prone to slip back into to relying on the high priest, to going and having those sacrifices made. There's, there's, these, there's these warnings throughout the letter. Don't drift. Don't slip away. Don't slip back into that way of thinking. The writer, he, he says in a really, really wonderfully pastoral way, I love it, he says, please don't drift. There's, there's no salvation there. 
But Jesus has done the work, so stand firm in your faith. Now again, we don't have high priests or a temple. We don't need them. The majority of us are here um, because we've recognised that we are saved. But if we think about the function of a high priest, the, the advocate, someone who advocates on behalf of the people, thinking about it in that way, I think we're still prone to, to let something serve as our high priest. I, th- I think we're still prone to let something else that isn't Jesus plead our case to God. We're still prone to drift towards that. And uh, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call these mistaken advocates. Mistaken advocates. Just remember that, because that's what I'll be saying. And, uh, the, so we're prone to let these mistaken advocates plead our behalf to God. And I have three examples, and there's more than this. There's more than this, and I want you guys to think about what it might be for, for you, what you're prone to, to drift towards. Um, because sin is still a thing. We're still in a world that's marred by sin. So, three examples. The first one is self-justification. Now, this, I think this happens a lot. Sometimes we can try and justify ourselves. When, uh, not, not everyone, and not all the time, but we often try and justify our sin. I was tired, or I had a lot of work, or I had a hard week. We try and justify our sin. And these things are real. Like, sometimes we are tired. We do have a lot of work. Um, we, we have had a hard week, but we don't need to use them to justify our sinful actions. When we justify ourselves to God, when we use self-justification before God, we're using that as a mistaken advocate, something that is pleading our case to God. The second thing, the second example is false holiness, where we try and convince other people of our holiness. We hide the sin away. We look for community Um, But when the community calls for vulnerability and commitment, then we run. Because we don't want, actually, people to see that we're not holy. So, we pretend to be better than we actually are to God. And when we do that, we're using false holiness as a mistaken advocate. Something that's pleading our case before God. The third thing is, um, and we can use good things, right? The third thing is spiritual disciplines. Uh, So often, so often when we ask someone, how's your relationship with Jesus? People say, yeah, it's been good this week. I read the Bible a lot. Or, it's been good. I've I've been praying this week. They're really good things. Really good things. But but they're not the things that make your relationship. If, If they're the things that we are relying on to make us right with God, then they become our false, our, our mistaken advocates. There's just three examples. What is it for you? What is it for you that, that, that you are prone to let plead your case before God? It could be one of these. It could be something else. So although we don't have high priests who go to the temple, who make sacrifices on our behalf, we can still be prone to lean on and drift towards other things that become our mistaken advocates. So question to ask might be, well, how, how if, if, if this is saying that Jesus is the better advocate, how is Jesus our better advocate, and why does that matter? How is Jesus our better advocate, and why does that matter? 
So he says to these Jewish Christians, these Jewish Christians who are prone to go back to the Levitical priesthood and offer sacrifices and let the priest plead in their behalf, he says to them, and this is my sermon in a nutshell, he says, he says there's a better high priest than the one that you're using. There's a better high priest than the one that you're prone to drift towards. And this better high priest ultimately points to Jesus. Because Jesus is the most qualified high priest. And therefore, we can have confidence in Jesus. <clears throat> and we see it in that order. In verse 1 to 10, uh, he talks about a better high priest than the, than the thing that they're prone to drift towards. And this better high priest, in verse 11 to 19, points to Jesus. And in verse 20 to 28, Jesus is our better advocate. So I'm going to use that, that structure um, to show that this better high priest points to Jesus, who's our better advocate. So, so the first one, verse 1 to 10, a better high priest. The writer starts talking about Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Oh boy. Melchizedek's a guy, he's, he's mentioned for three verses in Genesis and one verse in Psalms and that's it. He's mentioned more times in this chapter than he is in the whole Old Testament. And verse 1 and 2, the end of verse 1, beginning of verse 2, that sentence literally sums up everything we know about Melchizedek. Listen to this. Melchizedek met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's the narrative of Melchizedek. That's all we know. Abraham went and killed some kings, and when he was coming back, Melchizedek met him, blessed him, Abraham gave him a tenth. And, and then the writer of Hebrews starts comparing this Melchizedek with Abraham, the father of all Israel, the carrier of God's blessing and promise. And then he starts comparing him with the Levitical priesthood, who stands between the Jewish people and stands between God. And he says that Melchizedek is greater. And he uses four arguments. Four arguments. The first one, uh, in verse 2, he says, his name literally means king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he is the king of Salem, which means peace. So, verse 2, he is literally the king of righteousness and the king of priests. The king of, the king of peace. The second thing... In verse 3, his genealogy, Melchizedek's genealogy isn't mentioned in the Old Testament, which is kind of rare. So he uses what's not said to say, Melchizedek, it, it's, it's as if he's eternal. It's as if he's lived forever and will continue to live forever. So he uses what's not said to say that. The third thing <clears throat> in verse 4 to 10, it says, Abraham gave Melchizedek 10% of all he had. And so he must be greater. The, the Levitical priesthood would, would receive 10% of, like, a tithe from the people of Israel. That was, that was common practice. That was law. That Israel would have to give 10% to the priests. But the writer of Hebrews here is saying, Melchizedek received 10% from Abraham. And if he received 10% from Abraham, who's the father of the, all of Israel, then technically, he says, technically, 
the, Le the Levitical priesthood gave 10% to Melchizedek. So he's greater. <laughs> and the fourth thing is he says, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. That's in verse 6. And the lesser, he says, are blessed by the greater. So there's four things to say how great Melchizedek is and how great the, the order of priesthood through Melchizedek is. And the reason he's doing this, the reason he's saying all of this, is to say that the Levitical priesthood is good. But there's a better priesthood in Melchizedek. And this priesthood points forward to someone. Now it's likely, it's likely, actually very, very likely, that the Jews knew that. They knew that there was a, there was a priesthood in Melchizedek. It's mentioned in Psalm 110. And they were waiting for the fulfillment of the priest in the order of Melchizedek. And here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, that the person who's coming in the order of Melchizedek is Jesus. And so he moves on to that, that second section. There's a better high priest that points to Jesus. Verse 11 to 20. Now, verse 11. <clears throat> he says... If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? That's a good point. And the answer to that question is, well, perfection couldn't be attained through the Levitical priesthood. Perfection can't be attained through the priesthood that these Jews are prone to, to go back to. We have to be clear, though. The writer isn't saying that this this Levitical priesthood was wrong. He's not saying that. He's not saying that it's at fault. He's saying it's necessary and good and purposeful and, and great. And it served Israel for, for years and years and years. But it's not the finished product. Now, if you, if you guys go to Barcelona, there's a, there's a big cathedral called the Sagrada Familia. Who's been to Barcelona? Have you seen Sagrada Familia? Yeah. It's incredible. It's just this, this massive building. Beautiful. But unfortunately, it's been, it's been in construction for 140 years. And unfortunately, there's, there's, there's these cranes up the top. There's scaffolding down the sides. And there's these plywood construction walls down the bottom. <coughs> now, if you stood there and you looked at the cranes, and you looked at the scaffolding, and the, and the plywood walls at the bottom, you would be missing the point you'll be missing out. You'll be missing out so drastically. Because the construction work is, is pointing to the finished product. They're hoping it'll be finished in like two years or something. <laughs> um, but the, all this construction is pointing to the finished product of this beautiful building. And the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying the Levitical priesthood could never bring perfection because it was never designed to bring perfection. It was always designed to point to something greater. Always designed to point to this beautiful building behind it. The priests, the temple, the law, they were all designed to point to something greater. Something that one day could bring per perfection. They were always designed to point to Jesus. And because of Melchizedek, as a priest, as a high priest who wasn't in the Levitical line. Melchizedek was before the tribes of Israel. And because of this, Jesus could be a priest in the order of Melchizedek 
which means he didn't need to be born in the, in the line of Levi, but could still be appointed high priest. And he could fulfill that, uh, that promise in Psalm 110. You were a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 16. One who has become a priest, this, the one who's going to come in the order of Melchizedek is one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry. So he's not going to come through the line of Levi, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. That's the basis of Jesus' priesthood. The power of an indestructible life. Jesus is the only one who has, had an, who has an indestructible life. Yes, he died, but then he rose again. And he ascended to the Father and he's still alive now. He cannot die again. He has an indestructible life. Meaning that he can be, like Psalm 110 says, this little quote just after that, verse 17. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Because he has indestructible life. He doesn't rely on the temple. He doesn't rely on the law. He doesn't rely on earthly age. He's a priest forever. Now compare this. Compare this to the Jewish Christian reader's understanding. Prepare this, compare this to, to, to what the Jewish Christians are prone to, to lean on. Prone to lean on this priesthood that goes and offers sacrifices at the temple. Prone to lean on this high priest who pleads on their behalf. But what about when that person dies? Well, then they appoint another high priest, and then they appoint another high priest. But what about five years later when the temple gets destroyed? The high priest has nowhere to go. For us, our mistaken advocates, whatever it is, self-justification, false holiness, wrongly using spiritual disciplines, what about when we realize those things can't advocate for us? What about when we realize those things can't plead our case to God? Compare these with the high priest who has indestructible life. And that's what we're going to do now. So the third section. So there's a better priesthood that points to Jesus who is the better advocate. The better advocate. Verse 20 to 28. So let's compare. Let's compare. Let's spend some time comparing our mistaken advocates, the things that we're prone to lean on to plead our case to God, and what the readers are prone to go back to with Jesus, the better advocate. There's six things, okay? The first thing, verse 20 to 22. <clears throat> he says, Jesus became a high priest, not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Jesus' priesthood is promised. The Levitical priesthood, our mistaken advocates, are not promised. There's no promise in our self-justification. There is no promise in, in our spiritual disciplines making us right with God. There is no promise in those things. Jesus' priesthood is promised. The second thing, verse 23 to 24. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives Forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Jesus lives forever. He is permanent. Our mistaken advocates, uh, self-justification, false holiness, whatever it is, 
they're, tempor they're, they're temporary. The Levitical priesthood is temporary. We're temporary. Other people are temporary. Excuses are temporary. Actions are temporary. Good works are temporary. All of it is temporary, but Jesus lives forever. The third thing, verse 25, Jesus saves completely. It says, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The, the Levitical priesthood would have to make sacrifices constantly. They could never, it could never save completely. Our mistaken advocates, our self-justification, whatever it is that we're prone to lean towards, that we think can plead our case before God, it cannot save us completely. But Jesus can because, he says, because he always lives to intercede for us. The fourth thing, verse 26 it says, such a high priest, this is Jesus, such a high priest truly meets our need. Truly meets our need. Again, we're comparing them with our mistaken advocates. They cannot meet our needs. Our self-justification cannot meet our needs. Our spiritual disciplines cannot meet our need to be completely saved, to be free from sin. It cannot meet that need. The only thing that can meet that need is Jesus. And he says this, look, everything that we rely on, everything that we think can, can plead our case before God, there is still sin. There is still lack of holiness. There is still blame. But li listen to this, listen to this. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy. One who is blameless. One who is pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He is the one who can meet our needs, our need of salvation. The fifth thing in verse 27 is that Jesus, as our advocate, has made the ultimate sacrifice. Our mistaken advocates, the Levitical priesthood, whatever it is that, that we're prone to lean on, cannot sacrifice enough for eternal salvation. It cannot. He says, day after day, verse 27, unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for their own sins and then, and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. He has sacrificed himself and that is the ultimate sacrifice. Then the sixth thing, the last thing, verse 28, Jesus as our advocate is the son of God and has been made perfect forever. He says, the law appoints high priests, men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Self-justification, false holiness, wrongly using our spiritual disciplines, they are weak. They have no power to bring life. There's still sin. But Jesus, though he sympathizes with our weaknesses, he is the son of God who has been made perfect forever. What an argument. We compare the things that we lean on to, to make us right with God, compare them to Jesus as our high priest, as our advocate. 
And doesn't it just make those things look terrible? Listen to this, right. Just gonna go through them quickly. The things that we're prone to lean on are not promised. They're temporary. They cannot save us. They cannot meet our needs. They cannot sacrifice enough and they are weak. But Jesus, in all his glory, as our high priest, as our advocate, he is promised. He is permanent. He can truly offer full salvation. He can truly meet our needs. He has sacrificed once for all and he is the son of God made perfect forever. He is our better advocate. Why would we lean on anything else to advocate for us? Jesus is so much better. So, so this question, how is Jesus the better advocate? And why does that matter? Well, how is he better? Well, we just saw, we just compared him with everything that we lean on. And we saw that he's better. But I want to show you two things as well. He's better because he is qualified to be our advocate. And he's better because he has a case to advocate for us. When I, was, when I was 15, I was at school <clears throat> at lunchtime and I broke my arm. I was swung on a basketball hoop, I fell off, broke my arm. I tried three operations on it. I was 15, okay, so, so um, I did something silly after that. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sue the school. I'm going to try and make some dosh off this. Ridiculous. I went, to, I went to these lawyers, like online, it's like, I'm going to look for a lawyer and sue the school. And you type in your story, it's like, tell us your story and we'll see whether we, we can advocate for you. All of them got back and were just like, you don't have a case? What are you talking about? You swung on that basketball hoop. Now, I could have, I could have carried on anyway. I could have gone and pleaded my, for myself. If I did that, I would have been, I was 15, I was, by, at 15 I wasn't a lawyer, just so you know. So I would have been unqualified and I wouldn't have had a case. Now if by some miracle one lawyer was like, oh you don't have a case, but I'll still advocate for you. We wouldn't have won. Of course we wouldn't have won. You need both. You need qualified advocate and you need a case to advocate on your behalf. Now Jesus as our high priest, Jesus as our advocate, he is qualified. Let's look at those six things again. The, fir the first two and the last one. This shows how he's qualified. Because he is promised, and he was promised since the beginning of time. He was promised before Israel, before the Levitical priesthood. He was promised. He is permanent. He lives forever. And he is the Son of God made perfect forever. He is more than qualified to be our advocate. So is he qualified? Yes. Tick. Does he have a case? Let's look at the other three things. He can give full salvation. He can truly meet our needs and he has sacrificed once and for all. Does he have a case to plead on our behalf? Yes. Yes, he does. Because he can offer full salvation. He can truly meet our needs. He has sacrificed once for all. The, the debt is paid. The case is actually already won. And this means that he doesn't, he doesn't then, time after time, every time you repent, he doesn't go and try and convince the Father to forgive you. He doesn't need to. Because he has a case and he goes, no, it's paid. It's absolutely done. 
So yeah, he's qualified and he has a case. So that's how Jesus is our better advocate. But why does that matter? Why does it matter that he's our better advocate? Well, I think it, it, gives, us, it gives us so much confidence. It gives us so much confidence. Our whole lives are affected by this. We can go to our workplaces. We can go to our families. We can go to the shops. We can go to the park. We can go to have dinner. We can have breakfast. We can be amongst each other. We can be at our gospel community nights. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we can know full confidence, 100%, that we are made right with God. We are made right with God. What, what a difference this would make to the world if we carried that out into the world. It would mean that we can be free with how we live. It would mean that we can work to our highest ability without seeking approval of, everyone, of anyone. It would mean that we can be generous with everything we have. It would mean that we can speak the gospel confidently, not worrying about rejection. It would mean that we are free because we are right with God. We don't need to justify ourselves. We don't need to rely on our spiritual disciplines. We don't need to pretend to be holy or, or anything else that you think might plead your case before God. We don't need those things because Jesus is our qualified advocate who has a case. He has pleaded on our behalf and we are made right with him. So remember this. Remember this and, and remind each other of this. Don't run from it. Don't drift from him. We're right with him. Jack's going to come up and pray. Thanks, Thanks.